Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. What a beautiful morning it is outside and uh, inside. If you can tell, we've got something big happening and coming up this week. Yep. VBS starts tomorrow. Um, I guess it can start today, right? We're, we got the stuff up. We can, we can uh, share God's word this week. And uh, it's going to be exciting having this building just full of kids and, and people and helpers. And Diane and her team has done an amazing job getting this ready today. And I've never preached at a construction site before, so today is a first for that. So I need a hard hat? Yeah, I probably should. <laughs> I can rock the pink one. No worries. Uh, so this morning... Um, we're going to look at the aspect of worship and what it means for us. And when, we, when you hear the words worship, what comes to your mind and what does worship really mean? These are going to be some of the questions we're going to be uh, dealing with and looking at over the next couple of weeks. Um, next week, we'll have Jeff Smith uh, will be up here as our guest preacher. He and his wife, Andrea, and their kids uh, were missionaries in Turkey for several years, and they are here in the States now. And at, members of College Heights, and so we're going to have Brother Jeff come up and share a word next week. Uh, and then after that, we're going to get right back into this little mini-series of, of looking at worship and what God's Word says about worship and what worship really is. And so these are some of the questions we'll be kicking around in the next several weeks. So what is worship, right? What comes to your mind when you think of that? Or perhaps a better question might be, why worship? Why do we worship? What, is it, what does it mean? And so I found this quote this week when I was doing some research from a man named Franklin Segler, uh, who is a former professor of worship at Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary. And he attempted to answer the question this way, and I quote, Why does man worship? Because he cannot help worshiping. Worship is not a human invention. Rather, it is a divine offer. God offers himself in a personal relationship, and man responds. God's offer of love elicits man's response in worship. And so, for me to paraphrase that, I think what he's trying to say is this, is that we worship God because we cannot not worship God, because of what he's done for us. It is our, it's our heart's response to God. In fact, if we are grateful for his grace, if we are grateful for his mercy, for his unconditional love, for this free gift of salvation that he gives us, for forgiveness, for all these things. If we are grateful for those things, our heart's response out of that is to worship and to give him praise and to bring him an, a, an offering of, of worship in response. And so when we have our praise and worship in the morning and we're singing songs to God and we're it looks like an outward expression, right? We're standing, we're singing, we may fall to our knees in response, we may lift our hands, and all these things may look like an outward expression, but worship begins as an inward expression of the heart, right? It's our heart's cry, it's our heart's response to God, and it's our gratitude and thanks of, uh, of praising this amazing God who loves us, who saves us, who reached down, stepped out of heaven to come and to save us. And so with that in mind, let's turn to the book of Malachi, in chapter 1, in God's Word. If you haven't been in Malachi in a while, it is, if you find Matthew, just take a hard left one chapter and you're in Malachi. 
So we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1 this morning, verses 6 through 14. Now to give a little backdrop on Malachi, Malachi is the last of the prophetic voices before the New Testament, before we hear from John the Baptist being the next, what we would consider, prophet. And so there's this 400-year gap between Malachi and John the Baptist. And Malachi takes place after the exile. So the, the Jews have been, they were exiled in Babylon, they were captive, and then they've had this coming back to Israel and, and, and restoring what had been broken and rebuilding the walls. And so there was this exuberant period of time after the exile where Israel was just on fire for the Lord, grateful for what he'd done. And then as we've seen in Scripture and as we see sometimes in our own lives, there starts to begin this great gradual kind of falling back away and kind of losing that, that thirst and that fire for God. And so this is after that period of this great exuberant nation, and they're starting to get cold and hard-hearted again. And so this is where Malachi comes in to kind of be that voice to point people back to God. And so in chapter 1, starting in verse 6, we're going to read through verse 14 this morning. So Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or is sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Father, we thank you for your goodness this morning. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather as your people, as saints, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, as we go through your word today, uh, Lord, just, just show us what you'll have us to know and have us to learn through the words of Malachi this morning. Open our hearts to receive from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we dig through those nine verses a little bit, I want you to just kind of look at how many times in those nine verses 
that God mentions his name. Or the, the Malachi uses the word, the Lord of hosts. God is very concerned about his name in this passage, how his name has been diluted or despised. He's very concerned about his name. So look through there, verse 6. It says, um, the Lord of hosts who despise my name. And then how have we despised your name? And then verse 8, uh, he will show favor to you. says, the Lord of hosts. In verse 9, says, the Lord of hosts. In verse 10, the Lord of hosts. Verse 11, from the setting, rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great. Incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great. You see what's going on here? God is very concerned with what's happening to his name. And the worship that's being brought to him is not pleasing to him. It's not uh, coming from a heart of worship. It's coming out of a heart of obligation. Or it's coming out of a heart of just half-heartedness to where he's saying, my name is big deal. It should be very big in your hearts. When you come to the throne room, when you come to bring that offering, I'm concerned about my name, but you're not concerned about my name, Israel. And that's what he's trying to present his, his case to them. And, and either, either the priests that he's calling out in here, the, the nation, is one of them, they're either really bad at playing dumb and saying, how have we despised your name? Or they have just grown so cold and so half-hearted to worship that they don't even recognize it anymore. That they don't even recognize what they've, the heart that they've got, that they've grown for, for God. It's become cold and dead. And so they've taken their eyes off of why we worship and allowed these unpleasing offerings to be allowed and called acceptable, Right? So let me say that again. And instead of the context and the place setting of Israel and the temple and the priest, think that in your mind of the church today and where we are as the church, the greater church, not just College Heights, but the church and how we might not bring a pleasant offering to the, to the Lord. So let me say that again. They had gotten so used to half-hearted worship that they don't even recognize it anymore. Their hearts have gotten hard, and they've taken their eyes off of why we worship, and they've allowed unpleasing offerings to be allowed and be called acceptable. So the question is, this morning, not just here in this building, not just in your own heart, but have we, the church, allowed unpleasing worship to be presented to God, to be allowed and called acceptable and say, you know what, that's all right. At least they're trying. At least they're doing something. Are we doing the same thing with our worship? Has our worship turned cold or even half-hearted? So that's one of the questions that we're going to wrestle with today and in the coming weeks. So look at verse 8 in that same passage. Verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. Now, praise be to God that we don't have to bring animals to the altar anymore, 
right? Jesus is, is our unblemished lamb. He is our spotless, perfect sacrifice. And his blood is our redemption. His blood atones for all of our sins. So we don't have to fall under this, this covenant any longer because we're under this new covenant of grace. So praise be to God for that. So that's not what we're talking about is bringing the offering. It's the heart of the matter. Their hearts weren't in it in what they were bringing to the Lord. They found it acceptable to bring just any old animal they could find instead of what was given forth in, in, in the, the law to bring these perfect, unblemished animals. And so God is saying here, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? That's the heart. So if we can think about that in our context, would you only give one hour of work at work and then turn in your timesheet and present it to your boss as acceptable and say, now give me my 40 hours? Will I give you a little bit and expect much out of return? Probably not, right? Or would we only take half of our mortgage payment to the bank and say, this is all I got, this, this, this is good enough, right? They'd probably say, no, that's not going to cut it. So the question is then, if we bring 100% of our time, our effort, and our energy to every other area of our life, why would we bring less than 100% of offering, not financial offering, it's the heart again we're talking about, why would I bring less than 100% of worship to God? Why shouldn't I bring him my very best? And when, again, I'm not talking about your tithes, I'm not talking about your volunteering, I'm not talking about your, uh, the things that you give to the church, your attendance, I'm talking about the heart. It's the heart of worship that we bring. Do we come and we bring offering? Do we sing his praises? Do we search his word? Do we, do we go to him in prayer with our whole heart? Or do we do it just kind of going through the motions, checking off a block and saying, yeah, I did that today. God should be pleased. And if we look at the same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he might not be pleased. Malachi says, He's not pleased. And so that's the question that we want to ask ourselves. Is this acceptable as an offering? Because we want to bring this offering of praise, the offering of thanksgiving to God. And so the people of Israel had stopped bringing God their best. They were bringing these lame animals, blind animals, whatever they wanted to bring in lieu of proper offering, a proper sacrifice. They had stopped bringing God their best. And worse yet, the priests were allowing it. The priest didn't say, no, that's not a good, no, take that back where you got it from and bring proper worship. The priests were just like, all right, that'll work. Thank you. So the question is, are we doing the same thing? So here's the first question on your bulletin note. There's no right or wrong answer. It is your response to what God is saying. The question is, are you bringing God your best? Are you bringing him your best when you come to worship? And not just come to worship. Worship is an everyday thing, right? We worship in our homes. We worship in our cars. We worship when we wake up in the morning. Our lives should be presenting worship to the Father for who he is. Because his name is great, right? That's what he says over and over. And so are we bringing God our best? Again, it's not about my best. It's not wearing your Sunday best to church. It's not... Putting that check in the offering envelope, 
Those things are your own personal conviction, but we're talking about it here is your worship. Are you bringing God your best when it comes to worship? So let's look at verses 9 and 10. Again, he just said, present that to your governor. Will he accept you, says the Lord of hosts in verse 9. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Does that passage elicit any response in your heart this morning? Because it does mine. It hurts my heart. And I'm preaching this message to me just as much as I am to, to you this morning. This is for all of us to... It hurts my heart to think that God would rather us just close the doors, turn off the lights, lock up the building, and go home than bring him a half-hearted worship. He's saying, if that's what you're going to bring me, don't bother. Just go home. Because I am a great king, and my name will be made great. He deserves our worship. He desires our worship. Are we bringing him an offering that is acceptable this morning? That's what he's asking of us. And so I once heard a, a message from David Platt that I, I enjoy listening to his sermons and reading his books. And I heard a message once where he was talking about how we as American believers, how we can be so flippant in how we talk to God. Right? We say things like, Daddy God, and uh, Jesus is my homeboy. And I get it. I get the heart behind it. You know, we want to have that personal father-child relationship with God. But I had a fear of my father, right? Not just because I was afraid of him, but of respect and out of reverence. And so David Platt, was, he was, he's preaching about this, this out of awe and reverence for this mighty God that we serve. And he would say, do you realize who you're talking to? Do you realize who you're talking to? And I heard that years ago, and it sticks with me, and that can apply to our worship also. Do you realize who you're singing to? Do you realize who you're praying to, whose words you're reading? That same God that Malachi is talking about is the same God who loves us, who saves us, who desires us to be in relationship with him, who wants to know us. In fact, he does know us. He knows every star and calls them by name. So think about this, think about that for a moment. In regard to the do you realize who you're talking to, I am not a scientist. I never played one on TV, but I can research, right? And so in our galaxy alone, this is science, so it could change tomorrow, but this is what I read this week. Our galaxy alone, with the very best telescopes that man can build, Scientists say there are between 100 and 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. Billion. It's a lot of stars. Now, with those very same telescopes, science says that, we, that there are at least 100 billion galaxies on top of that. And they guesstimate that once telescopic science improves, that that number will grow to 200 billion galaxies. And so... If you got 100 to 400 billion stars, up to words of 200 billion galaxies, uh, 
If you carry the seven, that is, that's a lot of stars. It's a lot. My mind can't comprehend how many stars that is. It's not an exact number, but there's a lot. And so once you've wrapped your mind around how many stars there are, now just think that our God, creator of the universe, who calls himself a great king, spoke all of this into existence. He knows each and every one of those billion, billion, million, billion stars, and he calls them by name. By name. Like Bob. <laughs> or Susan. Or XRJ359, whatever they call stars now when you can buy stars. And so he is a great, awesome, mighty God who is deserving of our worship. And so here's the second question on your bulletin this morning is this. Do you realize who you're talking to? That we are talking to that same God when we throw up prayers. And God doesn't mind. We can say those one-minute prayers if we're in a situation where we need to pray real quick. Nothing says we have to, we have to spend 15 whole minutes or God won't hear us. You can God loves when we talk to him. You can say those one-minute prayers when you're driving or when you're washing dishes. There's no specific amount of time spent, but just realize that that one-minute prayer is worship. It's a heart of worship that we go to him out of reverence, out of awe, out of thankfulness, out of love for our God. But do we realize who we're talking to, even in that one-minute short little prayer? And so... Let's look at verses 11 through 14. It says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, What a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And so again, God's very concerned about his name. And in verse 13, you see, he's had enough of this kind of half-hearted attitude from the priests. He says, but you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. Right? God is saying, I can see your heart. I can see that you can't be bothered anymore with this and how you've grown weary to this practice of instituting and following the law and, and, and so much so that, that it's become sterile. Like they're just doing it out of obligation. There's no heart left in it. And so they've gotten to the point of saying, this whole thing, this whole thing that you've instituted of worship and bringing the animals, this, this whole thing has become a bother, that they've grown weary, and they snort at it. And so no wonder that God is using such strong words here through Malachi to call these priests back to God. They've, they've, they've grown weary, and they're just like... All right, let's go to work again today. Let's bring some more animals to the throne room, to the altar. They've grown weary and snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. 
And then he says, shall I accept that from your hand? And then in verse 14, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. He's saying, even if you have this wonderful, perfect sacrifice, and you've set it aside and said, this is for the Lord, and then when that time comes to take it to the altar, you say, man, it's so pretty, and I've worked so hard at raising it, and I've done so much to, to, to make sure that it didn't get eaten by wolves or whatever. I'm going to just take this other guy with two legs and take him to the sacrifice instead. God is saying, cursed be that person who has that perfect sacrifice and claims it to be mine and says it's for me, but yet they don't bring it to the sacrifice. They don't bring it to the altar. And that's like saying we've got, been given all these gifts to use to glorify him, to make his name great, to build his kingdom here. And we say, you know what? I don't feel like getting up and going to church this morning or I don't feel like praying today or I don't feel like I have any worship in me today. Or it's like when we go to visit a new church and you, you say, you know what? The music was all right. The message was so-so. It's not for you. It's for him. The songs that we sing is for him. It's to praise him. It's to give him glory. It's not for us. The word that we hear, the message, is to praise him. Yes, we can glean from his word. We are to pour it in. We are to consume his word. But if you leave out and say, yeah, I don't know about that sermon. It wasn't for you. It was for him. It's all a part and a piece of our worship. So that's what he's saying. If you got this great thing and you don't use it, but yet you bring me leftovers, I don't want your leftovers. Close the doors and go home if you're going to bring me leftovers. I want your, your best. I want your worship. And that's what God is saying through Malachi. Because he starts it off in verse 6. You despise my name. And at the end of verse 14, he lets him know, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So just because he's telling the priests and the people of Israel, just because you're not concerned with my name, doesn't mean that I won't be praised. You're missing out on the blessing of worship. You're missing out. Not me. God doesn't need our worship. He desires our worship. He doesn't need it. Because if we're not going to bring him worship, he is a great king and he will be worshipped. His name will be made great, whether we do it or not. But we miss out on the divine offer to worship. We miss out on the opportunity to draw nearer to him, to be a part of what he's doing, to blessing and favor are great, but that's not why we worship. We worship because we worship out of our heart's desire to be a part of what God is doing. We worship out of thankfulness of what God is doing, but he will be praised no matter what. And in Luke 1940, Jesus was even responding to the Pharisees and said, I tell you, if these were silent, talking about the, his own disciples, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. God will be praised. He is a great king. The question is, are we going to be a part of it? 
Are we going to join in with the kingdom and lift up our voices and give him the praise that he is due? The praise that he deserves, but more importantly, the praise that he desires. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to hear our praise. He doesn't need it. He wants it. And he loves us enough to give us the opportunity to be a part of it. And so I'll close here with the final question. And I was going to call this message the heart of worship because that's what we're dealing with. It's a heart problem. It's how much of our heart are we giving to the Lord in our worship. So that's what I was going to call it. But I remembered a, a conversation that I had with Pastor Scott, and he may not realize it or not. He, he, he probably does, but I don't know if he does it or not. But every time we have an opportunity to sit down and just, just chit-chat and just visit, man, I'm gleaning anything I can from somebody who's been pastoring and teaching leading a church for 30 years, I'm trying to learn as much and absorb as much as I can from him. And so when you get a chance to sit under his learning tree uh, of someone who has that much time spent in church, um, if, if you're not gleaning from him, you're wrong. So I don't want to be wrong. So I'm always trying to listen and learn as much as I can from him. And, and uh, we weren't talking about anything or anyone in particular, but somehow we came up on the conversation of just talking about uh, discipling people or, or counseling people when you're someone visiting with you and, and they're wanting some, some counsel from the Bible. And, um, and, and so you might have a husband who's frustrated and the marriage is on the rocks and he's wanting counsel and, you know, I just don't understand. I can't, I can't put up with this crazy wife of mine anymore. Just an example, just random <laughs> Random example. And instead of going through saying, well, why don't you try this? Or why don't you do that? Or why don't you, you know, see your wife as, as Christ sees the church? One of the first questions he'll ask somebody in that situation is, well, how's your worship? Well, that's not why I came to see you. I came to see you because my wife's crazy and I need help. And how do I deal with it? Well, how's your worship? Because if your worship's not right... And a lot of things in your, in your life, a lot of these other areas are not going to be right either. And if you can give God your best, give God all your praise, maybe some of that will rub off in your relationships and you can give your spouse your best. And you can give other areas of your life your best. And so that's, you know, it's not the question you might want to hear, but maybe it's a question we need to hear and go wrestle with this week is, how's my worship? How's our worship? And so this morning, as, as we close and as we wrap up, um, and as the worship team comes and gets ready to sing, that's the question we want to wrestle with this morning is, well, number one, what was the first question? Are you giving God your very best? Are you bringing God your best? Number two, do you realize who you're talking to? And number three is, How's your worship? How's your worship? And so as we contemplate God's words through Malachi, that's the question that we have to, 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 to leave out of here with this morning as we depart these doors and we go about our life. How's our worship? I can worship in God's word in my quiet time. I can worship at a red light when I'm singing in my head. I can praise God 
shoveling, well, we're not shoveling snow, as we're mowing grass, whatever, whatever we're doing, it's the heart, the heart of worship that we can project and, and give God our best. So let's pray.